Welcome to Churchpreneur's Podcast. My name is Richard Moore. I'm your host and informant for everything church, theology, and faith-related. Churchpreneur's vision is to accelerate the church in mission, vision, and effectiveness in fulfilling the Great Commission in our communities. Churchpreneur's hopes to embolden people to fulfill the Great Commission beyond their own borders into the rest of the world within this generation. In this podcast, I talk about everything that's moving me in relation to church and theology, hopefully to empower you and your ministry, church, Bible study, theological understanding, and most importantly, your personal growth in Christ. After a brief hiatus over the Christmas holidays, I don't know what you did uh, for your holidays. I hope it was a wonderful time of remembering Christ's birth. Uh, I had a chance to go to the United States. Uh, as many of you may know, hopefully our listeners know, I'm a missionary in Germany. And um, over the Christmas holidays, we spent time with family. But then right afterwards, I traveled to the United States to raise support and to see old friends and to visit churches. And it was a real awesome, blessed time. I might do another podcast about that a little later. But it was an incredible time in the United States, in California and South Carolina. But now we're back, back in Germany. We also had some sickness in our family. So uh, after all that, after we're back sort of into the regular swing of things, I wanted to cover the topic that I had actually previously covered. Um, And it was in my first season. So we're moving on to season two here. Funny enough, it's wild. 14 episodes in season one. And I'll try to hit about the same 14 episodes in this season two of Churchpreneurs. And uh, thank you all for listening. If you do listen, if you're a subscriber, God bless you. I don't know anybody wants to listen to my ideas, but uh, they maybe you do. And man, um, thanks for sticking with me through the second season. Here we are. So we're in season two. In season one, I addressed the topic in episode five superstar preachers pastoral moral failure and the state of the evangelical church and if you haven't listened to that up to this point you may want to go back and listen to it but i don't think you have to i hope you don't have to to um to get the sense of this but it's a follow-up to that episode so um what i wanted to deal with today is is pastoral restoration biblical Um, And uh, the Ashley Madison controversy may expose deeper issues in the church. So you may be familiar with the Ashley Madison controversy. Um, Ashley Madison was a website that helped people commit adultery, uh, long and short of it. It was a website for people who wanted to connect with people and hook up with people and have it be secret in some sense in some way or at least secret to those around you uh, ashley madison would uh, as a website would you know re- not reveal your identity not make it public but then uh, i don't exactly know how it happened but uh, the website was hacked and lists and lists of people uh, names on the website who had taken advantage of ashley madison's services was released to the public and so their website was hacked somehow not exactly sure all those details but the list of people who had taken advantage of those services the adultery services the online adultery services 
was hacked and um, names were released of who was on that website. Within that list, within those names, um, were uh, lots of Christian pastors, evangelical leaders. I won't bring up all those names of who those people were, but um, that really uh, deeply hurt, as I remember. Um, hurt, a lot of lot of Christian leaders were named. Um, then also, not to mention just the regular Joe Schmo, the regular Christian guy who who had taken advantage of those services and probably had adulterous relationships as a result. So my question today, is pastoral restoration biblical? So we talked about it in the last episode, kind of the state of the evangelical church and how pastors, pastoral moral failure is kind of like an epidemic right now. It's not even just one or once or twice every six months or so. You can kind of check your watch to it and say, oh, well, here comes another pastoral moral failure. It's coming around again. My question in this episode is, is pastoral restoration uh, actually uh, biblical? Is restoring men to the ministry biblical? Because you hear now of people who have uh, had moral failure. When we talk about moral failure, I'm kind of meaning or referring to sexual moral failure. And those guys will jump back into ministry. You know, you hear of some guy who's, who's had some kind of moral failure and they're back in ministry within six months or a year somewhere else. And I sort of question myself, like, wait a minute. Um, wait, is that okay? <laughs> you know? And so um, with all the moral failures in ministry lately, I actually asked myself, what is the path to restoration? To my knowledge, the Bible doesn't lay out a specific path to pastoral restoration per se. Please, I could be corrected. I'd love to reach out to me. Um, Help me out with this. If you see a true sort of path to pastoral restoration for moral failure, for, you know, the kind of what's happening now, power power structure failures where where pastors have just been really power people who've destroyed and abused people around them you know i'd love to see i'd love to see it help me um so this is me kind of questioning as well Uh, but all the things i read on pastoral restoration uh use biblical passages like in general christian restoration there's definitely a, a pattern and path, in my opinion, my understanding of scripture for Christian restoration, restoration to faith, restoration to the body of Christ, restoration to, to uh, fellowship in the church, etc. Uh, let me propose though, that it, this is because we made pastoral ministry something it was not meant to be, that we have this kind of this uh, disconnect. Let me il- illustrate it this way. Have you ever heard the phrase, someone is called to the pastoral ministry or called to the ministry? Or they'll ask, when were you called to the ministry? Or when I was called to the ministry, this and this and this happened. Um, This is kind of a misnomer because the role of pastor or overseer or elder are filled by particular spiritual gifts. And now I don't want to diminish anybody's calling. Please, this is not what this is. But... um, the church ministry, church pastoral 
overseer elder ministry is not meant to be, in my opinion, this huge hierarchical positional um, structure that we've turned it into. That's why the scriptures only lays out qualifications for those who practice their pastoral gifts. And it says if a man falls into sexual sin, he is just no longer qualified because not, he's not above reproach anymore, as the passages on eldership talk about. So let me ask a question to clarify. Let's start it out this way. If a person with the gift of evangelism is caught in an adulterous relationship, does that disqualify them from the spiritual gift of evangelism? No, of course not. They've just fallen into sin and need to be restored by loving brothers and sisters in Christ. We see that in uh, Galatians 1, 1 through 2. Brothers, if anyone's caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So I just say all that to illustrate that pastoral gifting is a, is a spiritual gift. Shepherding, um, teaching, all these evangelism. These are all spiritual giftings. Helps, the gift of helps, the gift of, the gift of discernment. The person is not disqualified through sexual sin of the gift of discernment anymore. They still have the gift of spiritual discernment. They've just fallen into sin and need to be restored. So we've created this hierarchical system that a pastor, oh, a pastor, he's fallen into sin. He needs to be restored into ministry and stuff like this. We use this kind of terminology that, that I don't see in the Bible necessarily. Uh, you see the the qualifications for an elder being laid out, but once a, a person has fallen into sexual sin, they're not qualified anymore to be an elder or, or an overseer. So I believe that the problem is that we've elevated the ministry to a place where I believe the New Testament did not mean it to be elevated to. New Testament writers talk about the pastoral giftings as one among many, gifts that are equal to any other gift in the body. So in our current structure, when a pastor falls into sin, it's more egregious or more heinous than when a person with the gift of hospitality falls into an inappropriate sexual relationship. We've elevated the pastor um, and his, his office, there is a pastoral office higher than that of the person with um, hospitality as a gift or teaching as a gift. A Sunday school teacher we might remove them from Sunday school ministry or something like this, but we haven't got this one among many feeling in our churches anymore. The pastor is uh, one above everybody and not one among many. We can also see this. Um, the modern pastor is more visible than he was in the past. With the rise of the internet, with sermons online, with other organizations like the Gospel Coalition, Sovereign Grace Ministries, Acts 29, and the pastoral conferences with thousands and thousands in attendance, and other such church planning and ministry tra training organizations, there's been this unbiblical and, and I believe actually unhealthy move towards superstar, attractional ministry leadership models. I'm guilty of it. I'll tell you, just be honest, I've been 
in my 25 plus years in ministry, youth ministry, church planning and missionary work, I've been guilty of that superstar mentality, that superstar model ministry. And I, I stood on stages and, and, and preached to tons of people and all this sort of stuff. And I'm starting to to question that, that superstar attractional ministry model. Um, was it, is it actually what, what Christ meant or did he mean something else um, that is a little more, like I said, um, we've lost that one among many um, aspects to ministry, the grassroots, if you will, sort of uh, uh, house to house, uh, person to person, the one anothering of the New Testament. Um, I'm as guilty in supporting this as any other. Um, so I'm just working, working it out with you. I have to admit, um, I'm as guilty as anyone in this. Um, how often have I watched a sermon from a talking head superstar pastor, just like anyone else in the Christian community within the last maybe 10 or 15 years? How often have I read their books? How often have I visited their church or their websites? This feeds the system, sort of. So the New Testament, however, had a completely different style of pastoral leadership. It was a bottom-up, one of many, one among many, servant leadership, one anothering type of shepherding ministry that was happy to be unknown outside of the congregation of which they were shepherds. So, I mean, maybe the apostles, you could argue, were known outside of their own congregations, but those were the 12 apostles. <laughs> Let's get that straight. Um, they were the 12 chosen by Christ to be the foundation of the church, cornerstone being Jesus. They built the foundation and were building on that foundation through the scriptures that they wrote. So that's a little different of a thing. But this shepherding uh, where um, they were happy to be unknown in the congregations that they were shepherding. I mean, you think about Barnabas, what a guy, the son of encouragement. This guy was a pretty incredible unknown. I mean, he was written about, of course, in the scriptures, but he was unknown and loved it that way. He loved being the son of encouragement. That's how they nicknamed him. So the apostles didn't train for years and years in seminaries and be and separate themselves from the local body they had come from. Now, please don't get me wrong. I am seminary trained myself. I believe in it. They weren't, though, seminary trained and only returned years later to another church that they had no previous contact to, being devoid of any real practical experience besides a one-year practicum or internship. I did my internship, too. I did my practicum. So, please, don't misunderstand me. Um, and, yeah, then these... Same thing. I did the same thing. Go to a church for a year and you get to preach one time on a Sunday where almost the whole church was away on vacation or something like that. I hope you see my point. Um, we have to radically rethink the pastoral ministry, or I believe because of the visibility, it will fail. Because you got a guy who's a, as a pastor of a, a thousand to two thousand member church or something like that, and then he's very visible on the internet, has a lot of writing deals, and then all of a sudden he fails, and this whole ministry underneath him crumbles. Instead of a church that fails, a smaller church where 
a, a pastor or, a, or even an elder falls into moral sin, and the church survives because there's a plurality of leadership, there's a plurality of elders, and not a one-man show, so to speak. Besides all this, uh, the spiritual gifts are spread out in the congregation relatively equally, as far as I understand it in the scriptures. How many with the pastoral gifting would be there in a typical church? If that's the case, we have the spiritual gifts spread out relatively equally, probably in about a, and let's just take it out to about a church of 200. There's probably about 10, five to 10%, I'm just guessing, of those people would have the gift of teaching and preaching. And that's sort of my, you know, my soapbox because I, I want to train and encourage preachers and teachers. That's about 20 people or so that have that gift in that church. But in the normal church, a pastor doesn't share his pulpit. And um, so you don't have the one anothering happening because that guy doesn't use his gift. Those 20 guys probably don't use their, or don't use their gifting in that church. What are those men doing with their pastoral teaching gift? Probably sitting on their hands because the lead pastor has a Kung Fu grip on the pulpit and won't let it go. Um, they probably aren't even aware that they're, they have a pastoral gifting or a teaching gifting because they can't, they don't have a chance to exercise that gift. I bring this up because there were 20 pastors of a church. It would protect the church when one of the pastors fell. If 20 pastors were pastoring a church instead of one, the church would carry on and the church would be able to restore such a one, a fallen pastor with gentleness, like Galatians says, without all the collapsing happening of that ministry. But as is the current leadership structure, there's one pastor who has full and final authority, elder and maybe a deacon board, um, do nothing in practicality in those leadership structures. Actually, they do something, everything the pastor tells them to <laughs> a lot of times. Uh, this has to change. Let me be clear. I don't believe that a pastor caught in an extramarital affair should just be kept in ministry after forgiving him or one week later hired somewhere else or something like this. That's what kind of woke me up and said, wait a minute. Actually, these guys, these well-known pastors are going and planting churches, other places and doing other stuff and back in pastoral ministry six months later. That's what I was thinking, like, wait a minute. I don't think that guy's qualified anymore, is he? You know, um, so that's what got me questioning. Um, or worse yet, maybe they're taking on a new church plant in a different city, like I, like I've seen in a few few different situations. What I'm saying is that the whole system is unbalanced and lends to an unbalanced pastoral ministry. We need sort of a, a, a practical pastoral reformation. In the first reformation, one of those great theologies that was won for us in that reformation was the theology of the priesthood of all believers. That priesthood of all believers needs not just to be believed in, I'm, I'm guessing that you believe in that, in that uh, theology. It's a wonderful theology, the priesthood of all believers, but, but it needs to be practiced in our current congregations. In other words, every member is a minister. The Ashley Madison controversy exposes many problems and we're all going to need to talk about this and the aspects of sexual and moral failure and what's wrong with the pastorate and, and stuff like this. We need to deal with these and talk about these things and not just sweep them under the rug. 
we definitely need to bring those secrets out so that the church can deal with it and to seek to be a righteous and pure bride once again. But I want to challenge us to think in biblical paradigms and not just leave the current hierarchical pastoral structure um, untouched. Because as it stands, the modern superstar pastor um, format is failing. And I think in the future, it's going to continue to fail unless we reform it sort of back to the original priesthood of believers um, that was one for us. I can imagine Martin Luther looking around in his time and seeing the Pope, I mean, wh whom he mostly um, uh, went up against and the power structure that was surrounding um, the Catholic Church at the time and made pastors superstars and made popes and bishops and everything superstars. And we can take those same things and apply them to today's church and say, look, we've got these superstar preachers who are seen and known and they should be seen and known and the message should be getting out. The gospel should be getting out. But um, should they have this much power uh, outside of their own circle? These type of questions we need to be asking. Should this multi-site pastor be preaching at uh, 10 different campuses when he's got qualified and excellent preachers probably on that campus? These are the type of questions I'm bringing up. And I just want to bring up for your thought and your prayer and your reflection. So, pastor, please do not continue uh, to usurp the authority, but rather give it away. What I mean is in areas that the Bible does not prescribe for you to have authority, give your authority to other gifted men who are there already in your congregation. Train others to take your job and to take your place. And 2 Timothy 2 verse 2 gives us a great pattern for this. And I believe Paul did it with Timothy. He said this, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will also be able to teach others. So pastor, I urge you and encourage you to do this. Disciple young men who are promising preachers that pour into their lives and train them to take your job. It's kind of like working yourself out of a job. In the end, you and your church will be stronger and more protected as a result. Because if it de depends on you, pastor, you will ultimately fail. And I have. I have ultimately failed. I have ultimately sinned and fallen. And pastor, I encourage you. Ultimately, God is in control of his church. And he will see that it's transformed from the top to the bottom. Let us with renewed vigor make Jesus Lord and ask our congregations to practice the priesthood of all believers along with us who are spiritually gifted as pastors and teachers so that the body of Christ can be whole and healthy from the top down. The most encouraging thing about pastoral moral failure or the church being in upheaval is that Jesus still reigns. No matter how bleak things look, he shall reign forevermore and he can redeem he can salvage and mend all that was broken one of my new favorite songs is a song uh, redone a hymn an old hymn uh, called jesus shall reign uh, redone by this group the silver pages 
And it's a wonderful new song uh, that they redid the hymn. But the hymn goes this way. It says, Jesus shall reign where'er the sun doth its successive journeys run. His kingdom stretch from shore to shore till moons shall wax and wane no more. Pastor, I want to encourage you. Jesus reigns in your church. He reigns in the earth. He reigns wherever the sun's rays hit the ground. He reigns there. He reigns um, from shore to shore until the sun and moon don't shine. He is Lord. Lord, not only of the earth, but Lord of your church, Lord of your congregation. Make him the chief cornerstone. And then ask him to transform you, pastor, your congregation, and the way you do things to be more Christ-like, to be more humble, to be more focused on Jesus in your midst. And I pray that this will encourage you to do that. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of Church Renewers. Thanks for listening. You can find out more information at my website at richardpmore.net. That's www.richardpmore.net. I also blog at richardpmore.blogspot.com. That's www.richardpmore.blogspot.com. You're welcome to also follow me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at richardpmore23. You can email us at churchpreneurs at churchpreneurs at gmail.com. That's C-H-U-R-C-H-E-P-R-E-N-E-U-R-S at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. If you have any ideas for a podcast or any comments or questions, please reach out on one of those platforms. God bless you. Until next time, take care.